The reading that Leslie read to you just a moment ago is from a a section in John's Gospel towards the end of the Gospel that scholars call the Farewell Discourse. It's a series of sort of questions and answers that Jesus has with his followers uh, right before he's arrested and crucified and all of that. So the Farewell Discourse, his last teachings uh, with his followers. And... uh, I don't know what committee it was that met and put the lectionary together, but for some stupid reason, they decided to only give you the answer today. If you heard her read, she began, Jesus answered him, but you didn't hear the question, which is ridiculous. Um, You have to know the question in order to understand the answer. So good news, I'm going to tell you um, what the question was. It's only one more verse. They could have put it in. I don't know why they didn't. But the question that the disciples had asked Jesus that he answered was, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Now that question at its heart is really a very contemporary question. In the church today where we are in our world, with our numbers, generally speaking, kind of on a steady decline, fewer and fewer people showing up on Sunday, fewer and fewer people who will say that religion is important to them. We wonder from time to time, why why are we saddled with faith? Why are we believers in an increasingly unbelieving world? Why is it so hard for us to convince those people out there, that what we do here is important, that it's meaningful, that it can even change your life. I mean, that is what we believe, right? That this stuff is really important, and yet many people, probably most people these days, will walk by the doors of the church. Even now, as we're worshiping, I can see them walking by, and nothing more than a shrug as they pass our doors. Perhaps they think we're crazy. Or maybe they think that we're all hypocrites. Or maybe they think that religion is a bunch of nonsense. Or perhaps they just had other things to do this morning. But why is this important to us and not so important to them? We get it. They don't. Or to come at it from another angle... Why, Jesus, why didn't you just make this all plain and clear and simple? Why didn't God just sort of etch the truth into the brain of every newborn child so we'd all just kind of agree? Why isn't faith just a matter of examining the facts and coming to the only conclusion? Every now and then, and and less now than than in the past, but every now and then on the subways, I'll see someone handing out uh, tracts, Christian tracts. I don't know if you're familiar with Christian tracts. They're little booklets that sort of describe God's plan of salvation for everyone. They usually use um, clever cartoons, so they're easy to understand. I used to hand them out when I was part of a more evangelical tradition, so I know how that goes. You, you give these pieces of paper out hoping that someone will read them and be transformed. And I trust that the folks that distribute the tracts are, 
are well-intentioned and that their meaning is, or their hopes are good and positive. But I also think that there's a misunderstanding in their acts about the nature of faith and of the human heart. You've probably seen them. Most of the tracks end up either in the trash bin or on the floor of the subway car near where the guy was handing them out. Few of them, I suspect, generate the desired result. Much like, I suppose, the words of a Sunday sermon dropping out of the mouth of a preacher only to be forgotten Monday morning. The problem with tracts and the problem with sermons is that in and of themselves they're really nothing more than just words. We don't believe because someone explained things clearly to us. Our reasons for believing have nothing to do with the fact that this all makes sense because it kind of doesn't, if we're honest. They can't be captured in a clever cartoon or in a simple sermon. Faith is not a collection of ideas in our head. Faith is actually better described as a a movement in our hearts, a summons from within us that, that calls to us and invites us to trust in God. We believe because God has done something for us. Because faith was was given to us. Each one of you could tell a different story about how you came to believe at whatever level you currently believe. But I suspect for most of us, our words would seem inadequate at capturing the fullness of our faith. It isn't that actions speak louder than words, as the old cliche goes. It's more that words are only truly meaningful when they inspire us and energize us to act. Words are only powerful if they're kept, as Jesus says, if they are internalized, if they become the way we live our lives each day. Maybe one way we could express why we believe is we could say we believe because the words caught hold of us. They became part of us. And they didn't let us go. They were no longer just words for us. Those words became our heartbeat, our hope. So the answer that Jesus gives to that question, why others don't believe as we do, is this. He simply said, keep my word. And the word he's referring to is the commandment that he gave them when he began this farewell discourse and which Reverend Bauman preached on last week. You remember what he said, I give you a new commandment that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Why don't people believe like us? Why don't people think more like we think? Why aren't people just a little bit more like us generally? 
It's not a bad question, but Jesus' answer suggests that it's kind of an irrelevant question. It kind of misses the mark. It's a good, reasonable question to ask, but, but in light of what Jesus has given us to do, in light of the commandment that Jesus says defines who we are as a people, the question of why do we believe and others don't sort of evaporates into the air. In fact, every question about why we are different from someone else, why we do things one way and they do things another way, why our skin is of one color and their skin of another, why we eat meat and they avoid meat, why our language sounds beautiful and theirs sounds harsh, why we worship one way and and they worship some other way, all of those pesky, persistent, pervasive questions that dog us as people and rip apart that potential for, for God's love to prevail in all of our human affairs. Those questions that challenge our human capacity to widen our boundaries of our love and to expand the reach of our compassion. Those pesky, divisive questions we ask melt away with this. Love one another. Now remember, this is Jesus' farewell discourse. The last teachings to his followers before he's arrested and killed. What I find interesting about the farewell discourse is that Jesus spends much of this time talking about the Holy Spirit, who Jesus says is going to come to them once he is gone and, and will teach them as he taught them after he has left them. They won't be left alone. The farewell discourse doesn't spend too much time actually saying farewell. Instead, it offers a word of hope, encouragement, of promise. As Jesus leaves his followers behind, he says that he gives them peace. Not anxiety, not fear, not doubt, not even grief at their loss. He gives them peace. The farewell discourse was, in fact, an act of loving compassion towards the disciples. Jesus, in these last few moments of his life, is comforting those who will soon miss him. He isn't focused on his own impending doom he's thinking of them and he isn't giving them all the answers to all their questions he isn't solving all of their problems he isn't convincing them that they're the most righteous group of people ever on earth with his last lesson he is simply loving his disciples with his last teaching He's taking his last chance to heal them, to give them hope, to quiet their anxious hearts, to calm their fears and their uncertainties. Even in the end, Jesus was keeping his word. Amen.